for transitional malaria. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Radio 3, live on the web, rthk.org.hk. Money Talk. Good morning and welcome to the end of the week. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Friday the 5th of August. This is Peter Lewis with Money Talk on Radio 3. The Bank of England has raised interest rates by the most in 27 years. The UK central bank hiked the base rate by 50 basis points yesterday, taking borrowing costs to one and three quarter percent. BOE Governor Andrew Bailey warned that the UK faces a very big inflation shock, predicting inflation will rise to 13.3%, the highest since 1980. Mr Bailey also warned that the UK faces a long recession. The bank forecasts that the country will enter recession from the fourth quarter of 2022, with the downturn expected to last for five quarters, and GDP shrinking by 2.1% from peak to trough. The number of people applying for unemployment aid in the US reached the highest level in more than six months last week as labour demand calls. There were 260,000 initial jobless claims on a seasonally adjusted basis, the largest weekly tally since mid-January and slightly above economists' expectations. China has started five days of military exercises in the seas around Taiwan. Taiwan said the drills amount to an air and sea blockade against the island. Since Monday night, the China Customs Administration has suspended imports of more than 2,000 of about 3,200 food products from Taiwan, covering 35 categories, including fish and seafood, edible oils, citrus fruits and biscuits and cakes. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Andrew Ferris of Econosis Advisory and Grace Tam at BNP Paribas Wealth Management. With a view from India is Toby Lawson from Society General India. And just a reminder of the ways in which you can get in contact with us. Text 63935925. Email moneytalk at rthk.hk. We're on Facebook, Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Or on Twitter at Money Talk Radio 3. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On Wall Street, US stocks were mixed ahead of the jobs reports later today. The S&P 500 fell 0.1% to close at 4,152 after hitting its highest level since June on Wednesday. The benchmark index has rallied 14% from its recent low. The Dow dropped 86 points, or a third of a percent, to 32,727. The Nasdaq Composite climbed 0.4% to 12,721. That's the highest close since early May. Alibaba reported first quarter earnings on Thursday that beat expectations, but posted its first flat revenues growth in history. Revenues came in at 205.5 billion Chinese yuan, that's 30.5 billion US dollars, remaining stagnant year on year but beating analyst forecasts. Net income fell 50% to 22.7 billion yuan, that's about 3.4 billion US dollars, better than the expected 18.7 billion yuan. Daniel Zhang, CEO of Alibaba, said following a relatively slow April and May, we saw signs of recovery across our businesses in June as logistics and supply chain situation gradually improved after COVID restrictions eased. 
Alibaba's US-listed ADRs jumped as much as 6% at one stage and closed the session 1.8% higher. The Pan-European Stock 600 index closed 0.2% higher. London's FTSE 100 was almost unchanged on the day. Yesterday, Hong Kong stocks recovered from Taiwan-related losses earlier in the week. The Hang Seng Index rose 407 points, or 2.1%, to 20,174, the biggest gain in almost two weeks. The Tech Index surged 3.2%, boosted by a more than 5% jump for Alibaba ahead of its earnings release. The Shanghai Composite Index added 0.8% to 3,189. Macau casino operator SGM Holdings slumped 12% in Hong Kong after it announced a rights issue at a 34% discount. In the commodities markets this morning, Brent crude oil is 2.7% lower at $94.12 a barrel. That's a six-month low on slowing global growth concerns. Gold is trading at $1,792 an ounce. The U.S. 10-year Treasury bond yield slipped one basis point to 2.69%. And the U.S. dollar index fell 0.6%. The euro this morning trading at $1.02.5. The bucks at 132 and three quarters Japanese yen. Sterling has slipped slightly after the Bank of England warned of a protracted recession in the UK. It's at $1.21.5 and 9 Hong Kong dollars and 54 cents. The Chinese yuan is at 6.75.5 in offshore markets. And Bitcoin is down 3% at 22,600. And let's take a quick look at Asia-Pacific stock markets as they open up for the day. Uh, no change in Australia. The SX200 is flat. And the K225 in Japan has risen 0.1%. The Cosby in South Korea is up half a percent. And futures markets pointing for a gain of about 80 points in the Hang Seng later on this morning. Times 809 and over in our Queensway studio, we have our regular Friday commentator, Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory, back in Hong Kong. Welcome back, uh, Andrew. Back home, indeed. Thanks, uh, Peter. And also with us, joining us for the first time on Money Talk is Grace Tam, Chief Investment Advisor, Hong Kong, at BMP Paribas Wealth Management. Welcome, Grace. Morning. Um, so we've had a lot of data on the Hong Kong economy this week. Uh, GDP contracted 1.4% year on year in the second quarter. That was following a revised 3.9% decline in the first three months of the year. So that puts us in a technical recession. We also had retail sales for June. They slipped 1.2% uh, from a year earlier. And we also had the S&P Global Hong Kong PMI, which edged down to a three-month low of 52.3, although it was the fourth straight month of growth in the private sector. Um, Andrew and Grace, where, where do you think we are in Hong Kong in our economy? Are we going to see any growth at all now this year? Um, I think um, we need to make assumptions, especially in terms of when um, we are going to open uh, the border, uh, especially um, to the rest of the world. And for now, there's the assumptions that um, Hong Kong may be uh, open um, in, in November. Uh, obviously, um, there's no confirmation yet. But, um, I mean, this is actually a key point. I mean, if um, Hong Kong is starting to open border to the rest of the world in November, um, we may have seen 
the worst, especially in terms of the retail sales, things like that. Because I mean, um, uh, we're um, going to see like tourists coming, and obviously that that could help um, the, the retail sales and actually overall uh, economy. But if we've got to wait till November, that's not going to save the economy for this year, is it? We're looking at probably negative growth in GDP for 2022. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think um, the worst could probably over and uh, we look forward uh, to like um, a, a strong rebound um, after the open. Yeah. Andrew, what are Actually, your I'm God, uh, God help me. I'm going to start sounding like an economist. You know, Peter, it was announced that Hong Kong is in recession because it had uh, two quarters of negative growth. Well, that's not true. <laughs> it's not true because the usual assumption, the usual definition is quarter on quarter negative. The mm. numbers we had was year on year, quarter on quarter. The last quarter was actually a positive point, point on nine. Now, the reason why I'm raising this is, A, because I absolutely loathe quarter-on-quarter quarter annualized. It, they mean absolutely nothing. So it's a good thing, good bloody riddance to that. But then if we're going to use the, in inverted commas, correct expression, then Hong Kong is not in recession yet. Okay, but these are numbers, for God's sakes. Now, I'm interested in what's happening with the PMI. I'm interested in what's happening to retail sales. I'm interested in what's happening to rents in the retail section and in the upper section of the residential market. And all of them are pointing downwards. And as mm-hmm. Grace very rightly pointed out, uh, if the uh, quarantine is not lifted now and not in November, okay, we're not going to escape a negative year this year. Incidentally, Hong Kong had negative either quarter-on-quarter or year-on-year or fully negative GDP growth, more than I can shake a stick at. Okay, Mm -hmm. we definitely had one in SARS. We had one between 2019 and 20. So this is nothing new, except that this one is completely man-made. Man-made meaning in terms of the restrictions imposed on the the community in order to fight uh, fight COVID. I'm not uh, criticizing this. I'm simply stating the obvious. But uh, in the real world, outside the world of economists, um, what, what we are noticing is there's been a big decline in exports, isn't there, of, of goods. That is, that, that is real. And also consumption. Um, it doesn't seem to be picked up at all between the first and, and, and second quarters, which sort of suggests uh, there, there is a lack of confidence in the economy, isn't there? There is also the issue that with a mild inflation, we have uh, better observed retails in quantity rather than in... Uh, rather, sorry physical quantity rather than in money and uh, actually in quantitatively terms also retail sales have been coming down yeah mm. the answer is is of course uh, consumption has has declined look peter 70 percent of all tourist uh, arrivals in hong kong are from mainland china well how much do we have right now what's mm. my lips so they say zero <laughs> yeah so. yeah grace we got uh, the second round of consumption vouchers coming on sunday um is that going to help boost the economy at all over the next uh, over this current quarter yeah, I believe so. So um, for now, I think um, people are actually um, are waiting uh, the delivery of the consumption vouchers and they're not really spending. Uh, but I mean, they're, they're prepared to spend when um, they, they got the consumption vouchers. And um, I think um, the, um, the impacts um, on, I mean, the positive impact on consumptions uh, because of the vouchers I, I tend to be short-lived. But uh, still, the key is if um, people believe that uh, we're going to open or it's confirmed that we're going to open in November, um, the confidence um, will, will change, yeah. 
And what about the rising interest rates? If you listen to Fed officials who have been speaking this week, they're basically saying we're nowhere near done yet. There's going to be a lot more uh, rate hikes, although the markets don't seem to believe that. Um, What's the impact going to be on Hong Kong of that? Um, I think uh, for now, um, especially market, um, I mean, when you look at the futures market on the um, interest rate uh, f- uh, forecast, um, it, it is, it's, more, it's more dovish. And mm. There's I, a disconnect, I, I though, isn't yeah, there, between yeah, what the markets are yeah, saying exactly. and what the Fed is saying? Yeah, exactly. So um, I, I doubt um, that um, the Fed um, is ending the fight in inflation. So, because, I mean, especially when you look at um, the, the the inflation numbers, there, there's no evidence um, of uh, declining yet. Mm. And we still see very high, like 40 uh, year high uh, CPI and also like PCE inflation. And um, for this September, um, we actually expect um, it, it could be it could not be like a 75 basis point high, but a 50 basis point. And uh, in the November and December, it could be like 25 basis point. And for Hong Kong, um, so far, uh, we're not following um, the the rate hike, but uh, I think the pressure is actually increasing. And um, and with the uh, another rate hike in September uh, by the Fed, uh, Hong Kong is very likely. Uh, to follow. So, uh, the three things here, as Grace pointed out, interest rates in Hong Kong don't follow lockstep in the sense that the Hong Kong Monetary Authority may increase, but the banking system may not. And there have been a lot of periods in which months passed before interest rates caught up. But it cannot be if the Fed carries on increasing at the 75 and 50 basis points. Point number two is. God bless little Fed. If they make mistakes, they make them big size numbers. And that is, there is no way, as Grace again pointed out, that increases in interest rates affected the prices of gas, the price of oil, the prices of wheat, the prices of several of the metals and other soft and hard commodities, major drivers of the CPI and BBI economy, uh, sorry, inflation in the United States, on which increases in interest rates have got zero impact. Mm-hmm. And uh, with the labor market appearing with signs of weakness, I feel like saying, good, carry on hitting <laughs> labor market that had played a relatively minor role in inflation. I mean, this this is, uh, for me, I, I shake my hand, I, I, my head actually, you know, I have no idea uh, why, why on earth uh, this is happening. Increasing interest rates at a time that inflation was not driven by domestic demand, by, by good, driven completely by external supply issues caused by a war. I mean, it cannot be more external than that, for God's mm. sakes. But, anyway. but, but presumably their, their thinking is that despite the fact that these are external factors, the only way now to meet this reduced supply is to go and cut demand, which in effect means tipping the economy into recession, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I'm going to use it slightly. I, I coined this expression. I'm delighted. The idea is if you hit the piñata long and hard enough, the ATM is going to disgorge some money. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense at all to me. Yes, you're absolutely right. Okay. Uh, Let me ask you about Taiwan, both of you. Uh, It's being described, these military exercises being described as a blockade by uh, Taiwan. Uh, And we have this ban on imports of, well, all sorts of things, over 2,000 products, but biscuits and cakes, uh, citrus fruits, fish and seafood. How big a deal is is this? Is it all theatre or or is this actually going to have an impact on either the economy or trade or regional supply chains? I think um, 
to compare the uh, the size with the uh, the whole Taiwan economy um, is actually pretty small. But obviously, mm. um, there could be hit um, to um, individual uh, companies, and also I think a lot of people actually worry about, especially the the natural sand. Uh, export because um, it's used for like um, constructions and mm. especially in the semiconductor uh, production. Can it go anywhere else? Can Taiwan source this from? There? It gets yeah. about ninety percent of it from China, but could it go elsewhere and get some? Yeah, I think they are actually getting from Australia. Mm. Uh, in terms of the uh, import, um, I think in terms of percentage, actually it's been down quite a lot. Uh, I think from ten years ago, it could be like seventy percent of. Um, uh, import from China, but for now it's actually down to 3%. But from Australia, it's actually they're getting it from Australia. Uh, mm. It account for like 40%. Yeah. So um, I, I think they're, they're actually uh, sourcing, uh, as you said, from, from other, other places. Peter, correct me if I'm wrong, because I read somewhere that 60% of Taiwanese exports to China are biscuits. Hey. Really? Is that correct? Because I was about to say Taiwan's economy doesn't rely on exports of biscuits and cakes. I was going to do it. Semiconductors, a... consumer electronics, exactly, chemicals. Just, that's what I thought it that's was. Not, that's not well. There is life is full of surprises. You know, I can see the Taiwanese say, you know, says, you do that again and no more biscuits for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so presumably, as long as they leave it at biscuits and cakes and yeah, don't touch semiconductors right. exactly, and consumer exactly. electronics, it's going to be okay. Yeah, I hope I hope I'm wrong, but I thought I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I'm going to have to look this up. <laughs> I, I'm surprised myself. But they are included also in the list of prohibited items. I mean, it's not you know it would be the first thing that will jump in mind. Yeah, okay, but anyway, anyway. Okay, all right. So let me. Um, the big story today, I suppose, for for the markets is what the Bank of England did. Not so much. Uh, that it raised interest rates by 50 basis points because people were expecting that. Uh, it was the dire warning it, it, it gave about inflation and growth. It basically said inflation is going to go above 13%, uh, which is the highest since 1980. Um, and there was going to be a big recession lasting five quarters starting this year, far, far worse than its previous estimates. I mean, I suppose we've talked to Andrew about stagflation before. If you want to look at a country that's got stagflation, this must be it, mustn't it? Yeah, it is. And what is very interesting, in the middle of all this, they're electing the next prime minister. And both both uh, Ms. Truss and, uh, and Subic uh, are promising very significant loosening up of policies, which may come at a, at a reasonably good time, except there are still concerns about a very large increase in the national debt following the two years of, of rapid expenditures. Yeah, it's, it's not, it's not uh, macroeconomically, it's not a happy place. Hmm. Um, Grace, it's, it's had an impact on markets in that it seems to have brought down inflation expectations. Also, price of oil fell sharply again um, overnight to a six-month low on these global growth um, concerns. Should we sort of look at what's going on in the UK and be concerned that maybe this could happen elsewhere? Yeah, I think so. I think um, the market for now is still um, like struggling um, whether uh, we're going to see like uh, between inflation and also recession. Mm. And for now, um, obviously, UK is, is likely in at stagflation. And, uh, and in Europe, as well as um, I think um, people concerned about um, the uh, natural gas supplies to Europe and and um, that could cause um, um, also a recession uh, in, in Europe. And um, so 
I think uh, in the coming months, um, for markets, um, the, um, the the debate between inflation and recessions will, will go on, and um, and especially for U.S. Um, for now, as we mentioned, um, the uh, the market. Um, tend to be a bit op- optimistic about um, the, the the rate hike path, uh, which uh, even pricing in uh, rate cut in the first half uh, n- uh, next year, and um, so I think I think that c- that could be a bit premature because I mean uh, news on 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 uh, higher inflation or inflation to stay uh, higher for longer that could still come uh, in coming months. Andrew, the markets are sort of, well, they're they're waiting for the jobs report tomorrow, also the CPI report next week from the US. But they seem to be saying um, that, you know, we're going to see signs of peak inflation um, and those interest rate expectations can start coming down. Do you think that's right? Uh, Yeah, actually, I I coined another expression, and that is uh, financial Newtonian uh, economics, in the sense that whatever goes up, guess what? It has to come down. Mm. You know, when the Fed increased interest rates, uh, what, about five, six days ago, the markets went up, delighted. Why? Because they've increased interest rates, and therefore we're coming nearer the time that they will stop increasing interest rates. Mm. Well, you know, I'm not uh, not certain at all about that. if they, I, I really believe what they say. They are carrying on increasing interest rates until they feel that inflation is under control, however wrong that might be, and I say till, till they bleed the economy dry. And therefore, no, I don't think that we have seen the end of it in terms of, of the Fed. I would love the Fed to have given us a trade-off. You know, for every uh, one basis point, we increase interest rates, we expect that inflation will come down by point one third of one basis point so i will have a trade-off and i will say on the basis of that and as it improves or it de- uh, or worsens over a period of time we can expect another i don't know 200 basis points or 300 mm. basis points but silence on that okay now, i'm not going to tell them their job but uh, well i think it's their job to tell us their job <laughs> okay well thank you very much have a great weekend that's andrew ferris the ceo of econosis advisory grace tan chief investment advisor hong kong at bmp paribas Asset management. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Radio 3. On the phone from Mumbai, India, is Toby Lawson, the CEO of Society General India. Morning, Toby. Yeah, good morning, Peter. Um, I want to ask you about South Asia overall this morning, because there's, there's a lot of sort of economic and political turbulence in the region, isn't there? We've got um, Pakistan uh, scrambling for a bailout to try and uh, avoid a, a debt default. Bangladesh is also looking for a loan from the IMF. Sri Lanka's defaulted already and its government uh, has collapsed. Um, what sort of impact is, is this having on, on India? Could this be... Uh, maybe South Asia's financial crisis that we're seeing developing here? Yeah, it's an interesting question and, and certainly one that uh, has economists and uh, and uh, markets looking closely. I don't think at this stage um, uh, we're looking at a full-blown crisis. I think if we refer back to the Asia financial crisis some 20-odd years ago, there were very different um, uh, economic circumstances, also different structural uh, weaknesses in emerging Asian economies. You know, much stronger now, the banks, uh, there's better reform within uh, the economies, uh, the bond, bond markets are deeper, their ability to access debt is there. Um, there are significant FX reserves, although in particular in Pakistan and in Sri Lanka, it's a bit more challenging. So I think it's a bit premature to suggest that this could reach out. For India, 
much stronger economy mm. uh, and uh, growing at 7%, uh, debts predominantly domestic. The capital outflows that are happening are mainly due to dollar uh, you know, dollar appreciation, uh, INR depreciation. So um, all of those dynamics suggest it's a watchful um, uh, issue, but uh, I would be surprised if the, if the issues in Pakistan, Sri Lanka and Bangladesh feed into any major dislocation in India. The problem is, though, these these nations in in the region, in the South Asian region, they've for, for what for maybe the last ten years now, they've had a pretty big party on low cost sort of dollar debt, which has funded a lot of their expenditure, and a lot of that expenditure it now turns out has been wasted on, you know, these big vanity projects, as we're seeing in um, sort of Sri Lanka. Uh, Sh- Sri Lanka, they're going to have to start getting used now to much higher rates of interest and, and the party's over for them, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think if you look at those specific countries, it, you know, you had you had government uh, reaction to that. So in Pakistan, you saw government over, you know, uh, changed uh, Sri Lanka, uh, very, very volatile situation there. You're absolutely right in terms of the of the of the reality of the situation for those countries now, um, particularly as they don't have the reserves to be able to absorb the shock of the currency depreciation uh, that uh, you know in, in Sri Lanka's case, you know, seventy seventy five percent. Um, very different circumstances uh, for India, and you know, we all talk about the INR depreciation at record lows. But if you look at that, really, it's mainly dollar driven because INR has probably dropped six percent versus seventeen percent in the euro, for example. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to look at relativities across the globe. Uh, the economic uh, structures in Asia, in some of the leading Asian uh, emerging economies, are much stronger than they were uh, previously when we had this type of, um, you know, uh, taper tantrum, if you will, uh, and resultant impact on emerging economies. So can India sort of be that anchor of stability in the region as, as China did 25 years ago uh, for, for East Asia when we had the Asian financial crisis? I think from a geopolitical perspective, uh, it's important for India to have, you know, strong neighbours. So you mentioned the three, uh, Pakistan, Sri Lanka and Bangladesh, all neighbouring um, India. So from a uh, purely from a geopolitical perspective, it's a very important uh, topic for India to show leadership and to, to support those countries. And yes, they'll, they'll certainly play a key role in that specific area and more broadly across Southeast Asia. I think India is emerging. It's a strong economy. It's, uh, it's uh, in good shape. Uh, despite the headwinds uh, that everyone's experiencing around the world. So I suspect uh, India will, you know, continue to emerge uh, and particularly in its immediate vicinity will play a key role uh, in supporting those countries. Uh, I suppose one of the ways in which it can do that is by buying more um, from them, taking more imports from Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh. But of course, the the weak rupee makes that a lot more expensive, doesn't it? So is that, is that a problem? Yeah, well, they've got a record trade deficit around 30 bill, um, which is, uh, you know, driven by obviously higher cost of imports uh, and exports declining through growth. Um, but if you look at the, the overall scope of the economy, India is a huge economy in relative sense. So they could probably uh, pick up uh, in terms of either providing direct transfer support or buying more goods. Either way, I, th- I think it's pretty clear that uh, I think through the ASEAN uh, meeting currently underway that India is uh, showing clear line of support for its neighbours. And what about the the capital outflows? All four countries are now seeing quite large capital outflows, particularly maybe Pakistan. It's seen huge outflows uh, over the last few months, and that that maybe could be the next one in the region to default. How big a problem are these outflows? 
Yeah, well, they are. If, uh, if you've got uh, a lot of dollar debt um, and you don't have the reserves to be able to throttle your currency, clearly it's, uh, it's more challenging. I think in the case of Pakistan, I think Pakistan have gone more quickly uh, through its recent change in government to go to the IMF and negotiate uh, loans. That'll then feed through to more confidence from other lenders. So I think Pakistan is, is in a challenging situation but has moved, I guess, more quickly. Sri Lanka is uh, unfortunately, you know, um, you know, is in, in serious trouble. So I think, uh, you know, they're, they're all unique. Um, I don't think it's a contagion driven by any particular country. I think there are stresses all around the world when it comes to inflation and, and what have you. But so it's really a currency um, matter. So the reserves available to a country to absorb the depreciation and therefore the imported inflation is the challenging aspect. Toby, thanks very much indeed. Have a great weekend. That's Toby Lawson, the CEO of Societe Generale India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. A final look at Asia-Pacific markets for this morning. The ASX 200 now in Australia, up a quarter of a percent. Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan has risen 0.2%. The Cosby in South Korea, up about two-thirds of a percent. And futures markets pointing to a gain of about 80 points or so for the Hang Seng at the Open later on this morning. Thank you very much for listening this morning and all week. Have a great weekend. I'll be back on Monday morning at 8 o'clock. Coming up after the news is Back Chat with Janice Wong and Andrew Work. The weather forecast for today, uh, cloudy with showers and squally thunderstorms. Those showers are going to be heavy at times. Maximum temperature is going to be around 28 degrees. Showers will lessen uh, tomorrow. And then there'll be squally showers in the following couple of days after that. There is an amber rainstorm warning in force right now and also a thunderstorm warning. Temperature is 26 degrees, 97% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Here's Andrew Shrosky with the Half Hour News. Thank you, Peter. The Centre for Health Protection says it's investigating a cluster of imported malaria cases from Africa, with many of the patients having travelled to Hong Kong from Guinea. Frank Young reports. Since July, 30 male travelers arriving in Hong Kong were found to have the mosquito-borne infectious disease. 21 of them flew in from Guinea. The CHP said one of them, a 52-year-old man, passed away during hotel quarantine. Postmortem results reveal that he carried the malaria parasite. The other patients were sent to public hospitals for treatment, four of whom are under intensive care. The patient's companions have been placed under medical surveillance. The last local malaria infection took place in 1998, and there were seven and four cases reported in the SAR in 2020 and 2021. Hong Kong's daily COVID tally has topped the 5,000 mark, and health authorities say infections have not peaked yet. Wendy Wong with the details. Health authorities reported 5,020 cases, 247 of them imported. Dr. Chuan Shukwan of the Center for Health Protection says the number of cases is still on the rise and urged people to remain vigilant and get tested if they feel unwell. And there were three more COVID-related deaths. Officials reported an outbreak at the tuberculosis and chest ward at Wong Tai Sin Hospital following a compassionate visit. A family member and four patients at the ward were infected. One of those patients, a 94-year-old woman, has since died. Officials say they're not sure about the source of the infection and that there are no plans to tighten compassionate visits. Two more childcare workers at a Prince Edward children's residential home have pleaded guilty to abusing youngsters there. 
Li Poiching and Cheung Yin both admitted to ill-treating or neglecting kids under their care at the residential home last year. Acting Principal Magistrate Peony Wong from the Kowloon City Court adjourned sentencing for the pair. Six other defendants who also appeared at court and faced charges linked to the child abuse scandal will have hearings at a later date. The FBI has arrested four current and former police officers in the city of Louisville over the fatal shooting of Breonna Taylor, a woman whose death in 2020 became a focus of the Black Lives Matter protests across the United States. The officers are accused of using false information to obtain the